Hello, this is Brian Lane, lead pastor of FAM Church, and this is our podcast. To kick off the new year, we are looking at things that cause us to be triggered, things that cause us to get upset and ruin our day, our week, or even our year. They don't have to do that, so join us as we work at keeping our family from triggering us. Good morning. Welcome to our Triggered series. You guys just don't seem to be feeling this today. Why not? All right, Chris. Chris has been going to a Baptist church for a couple months, so this has got to be exciting for him. I'm just kidding. Sorry. I apologize to all you Baptists in the house. But uh, all right, listen, if you missed last week's uh, message on Triggered, we talked about our job, and I'm not going to hit the highlights of that message. Uh, just to let you know, you can got, download the Fam Church app, and under podcasts, it's out there. You can download your favorite podcast app onto your phone or your tablet or whatever, and you can listen to it there. I use Overcast. It's really, a, it's really a handy device, or I think the video feed is actually still on Facebook, and so you can actually watch the video there, I think, if you would like to. And so, part two, this one's a little bit challenging, because today we are going to talk about when our family triggers us. And some of you are saying, what are you talking about? My family never triggers me. Oh my gosh, our family is just love and joy and peace and it's just so wonderful and amazing and nothing ever goes wrong. All of our holidays are wonderful. We all vote for the same people. We all like and believe the same things, and so there's never anyone getting triggered. Well, for the three of you on planet Earth that that applies to, feel free to tune me out. But for many of us, me included, when we get together with our families, it can be a time of triggering, especially when it comes to the holiday season. I had this discussion. All right, amens on that one. All right. I had a discussion with somebody just this week, and this was their story. They decided that they were going to surprise their family in Wisconsin for Christmas. So they loaded up their car, and they drove the 1,300 miles across the frozen American tundra to arrive in Wisconsin. And he pulled up to his mom's house and knocked on the door, and his mom and his brother were there, and their response was, what are you doing here? He said, well, I wanted to surprise you for Christmas and have the holidays with the family. Well, the mom and the brother made it quite clear that this was not a surprise they wanted for Christmas. And so he spent a week and a half in Wisconsin with a family who didn't want him there, who didn't want to talk to him, and who didn't want to have anything really to do with him, and they were disappointed that he was there. That's a situation you can be triggered in. But to top it all off, this is the best part of the story, is one day he was out driving, a deer jumps in front of his car, he hits a deer and wrecks his car. So he goes to Wisconsin, gets shunned by his family, wrecks his car, and that was his Christmas. And that's why we are going to talk about this. Because really, that wasn't the only story I heard when I started asking people the question, how was your Christmas and New Year's? How was your holiday season? Was it good? And I got so many strange and bizarre responses because of what happened in people's houses and families over that time. And really, there's nothing new here, right? I mean, if you read through the books of the Bible, 
From the beginning of time, families triggering other people have been happening, right? I mean, we start in the book of Genesis, and in Genesis chapter 4, we have one brother being triggered by another brother, Cain, being triggered by, by his brother Abel. And what happens there? Well, Cain gets so upset with Abel that he literally kills his brother. The first recorded murder is a brother killing brother, a house where the family was triggered and murder happens. And it just continues from there. I mean, in our selfie series, we looked into the life of Jacob, and we saw how his brother got real triggered by something Jacob and his mother did. Um, the book of Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles are filled with people who were triggered by their family. King David, Israel's most popular and well-known king, triggered one of his sons because he failed to respond to a situation in the family, something that happened in their house. And the son got so upset that he literally went and took the kingdom from his father, slept with his father's wives, and tried to have his father hunted down and killed. It didn't work. He was the one who ended up dying, but still, it happens. Families triggered. Even Jesus' brothers were triggered by Jesus. They got tired of all that crazy Messiah talk. Can you relate to that? If suddenly one of your brothers or sisters was telling you, you were, they were the Messiah, would that trigger you a little bit? The worst part was, he was doing it on the down low. He was doing it in secret. He didn't want anyone to know he was the Messiah yet. And so he's just kind of chilling, hanging out, and the brothers are like, you know what? We've had enough of your stupid Messiah talk, Jesus. Get it out there. Let everybody hear it so everybody can make fun of you. We can get this secret Messiah stuff over with. That event's found in John chapter 7, verses 2 through 10. I want you to remember this event as we're going to come back to it a little bit later. Anyway, what that means is that there was a lot of scripture that we could look at to help us discuss this today. But the place I decided to go was the life of Joseph. Joseph is one of the 11 sons of Israel, and boy, did his family mess him up and put him in a place where any one of us would have been triggered had we stepped into it. Yeah, we're first introduced to him. We're introduced to our boy uh, Joseph in Genesis chapter 37. And Genesis is the first book in the Bible. If you'd like to turn there in chapter 37, if you aren't able to locate it, um, that's fine. We'll have it on the screen behind me. But uh, uh, here's the deal. We're going to be uh, looking at a lot of stuff in Genesis. So you're just going to want to leave it open to that section. And we're going to be reading verses 1 through 11 in chapter 37. And this is what it says. Jacob lived in, lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wife, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. 
All right, so in these 11 verses, we have the reason why Joseph's brothers were triggered. Okay, what do we got? The first thing we got is Joseph was a snitch, right? And how many of us know snitches get what? That's right, snitches get stitches. And our boy Joseph was a snitch. We don't know what he went and told his dad, but something happened out there in the field. Maybe the boys, the other, uh, the other sons, the other ten sons left the flocks and headed it into town and went to the clubs one night or whatever. We don't know what happened, but for some reason, Joseph had a bad report to give to his father about his ten brothers in the field. The second reason they were triggered by Joseph was their father loved Joseph more than all the other brothers. Now, this one was not Joseph's fault. It was their father's. But still, they blamed Joseph for it um, because I'm sure Joseph took advantage of his favored status, right? I mean, if you were the favored child, how many of you would take advantage of that with your parents? I know I would be all over that. My brother was the favored child, okay? He took it. He got to do whatever he wanted to do, whenever he wanted to do, however he wanted to do it, and he took advantage of it because he was the golden child, okay? And so I've experienced this from Joseph's brother's point of view. Anyways, and then the last thing he did was he had a dream. Every time I say that phrase, all I can hear is Martin Luther King Jr.'s voice going, I have a dream. I don't know. (laughs) It's just like, that's going to be permanently in my brain. But anyways, so he has a dream. And what is his dream? His father, his mother, and his brothers all come and bow before him. You want to trigger a family member? Go to someone in your family that doesn't like you and tell them you had a dream. They were bowing down to you because you were ruling over them. You want things to go bad? That's the formula right there, okay? You could do nothing else other than that last thing, and this would go really bad. And so this this family, these brothers, they are triggered at their brother. They are so triggered, they come up with this plan in verses 18 through 20 of chapter 37 in Genesis. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. All right, they're so triggered, they are ready to kill their brother. They're sick and tired of him getting away with not working and talking bad about them. The dream was just the last straw. And so here's the first thing that I want to say to all of us in this room to keep our family from getting triggered is that sometimes we do not need to say out here what is in here, okay? We don't always need to be talking. Most of our family does not care about our political opinions, especially if they disagree with you. (laughs) They don't want... Nobody wants to know that they are a bad parent and their child is like a little satanic beast running around the house. They don't care that sending $2,000 to this prince from Nigeria because he promised you he would give you a million dollars is a bad financial strategy. And when we're in those situations and people are saying things and we talk and we say things, it can lead them to be triggered because we've got to understand something now. We live in a day and age where everybody is Google experts on everything. 
okay? When somebody, before somebody forms an opinion, they've done studies on this, and what they found is before somebody forms an opinion on something, they will Google what they're looking for and read stuff and come up and formulate the answer that they want in their minds because we have come to the conclusion that everything on the internet is what? is true. And so people are Google experts. Uh, Something is going on. They want an opinion. They need to know whether or not to send this Prince $2,000. They go to Google. They search it. And if it's there and it says it's true, they do it. And I believe that part of what's going on here is that we are reaping some consequences for some of our parenting that we have done in the recent years. We teach kids now from a young age that they are always right. We teach kids that they don't do things wrong. And this is what we've gotten and we can't fix it now. So instead we have to realize we just need to not give our opinion if it's going to cause people to be triggered. Ecclesiastes 3.7 tells us there is a time to be silent and a time to speak. And we need to learn the difference of when it's time to be silent and when it's time to speak, okay? If you know that saying something is going to tick someone off and cause them to be triggered, then maybe that's the point where you just don't say anything at all. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, does that apply to my kids? I mean, I've got kids that are under 18, and I know that when I say stuff to them, they're going to be triggered. Listen, I get that. Okay, we are not talking about 14-year-olds in your house or 10-year-olds in your house. Because what happens is if we allow our kids to be triggered and we just let them do what they want to do because they are triggered, it creates a different problem in our homes. It creates a child who thinks that they can get whatever they want through their anger, through their temper, through their outward reaction, and then they go on living their life that way. And it may work okay in the home with the parent, but you get to a job, you get to a school, you get to someplace else, nobody cares if you're ticked off, okay? Nobody cares other than your parent, and that is not going to get you what you want in life. But that's what we are teaching kids so often these days. They get a tantrum, they get upset, they're triggered, and so we just say, okay, have your way. There's no win here. You just got to walk away realizing that. And getting mad at the other person is not going to help. And they're going to keep pushing and getting angrier until they get their way. But it's our job as parents, whether or not what we say triggers our kids, to tell them and to teach them and to train them in the right way in which to live and which to go. Okay? Parents. And so that does not apply in that situation. All right. So continuing on with Joseph, and I'm going to hit some highlights of his life because we've got like... uh, seven chapters to cover here, uh, and that would take a really long time to read, and you guys would probably fall asleep and leave. And uh, so we're going to rejoin him in chapter 45, but I'm going to tell you what happens to him in the next several chapters. Okay, he's attacked by his brother. They throw him in a pit. They then pull him out of the pit, and they, they sell him as a slave. And so he's, he's given over to some Egyptian traders. They take Joseph over to Egypt. He's sold to a guy named Potiphar. Well, he gets into Potiphar's house, and he's very successful in Potiphar's house. He's pretty soon in charge of everything in Potiphar's house. Well, Mrs. Potiphar uh, sees Joseph, and she's like, hmm, that's one fine-looking man right there. And so she decides that she wants a little piece of Joseph. And so she hits on Joseph, 
Joseph, being a man of integrity, runs from the scene. Well, Mrs. Potiphar doesn't like being turned down very well, and so she charges him with rape. She said he attempted to rape her, and so Joseph is thrown in jail. Well, Joseph is in jail. He has the same success there as he had in Potiphar's house. He works his way up to running the whole jail, but one day a couple of guys from Pharaoh's court show up there, and they're thrown in jail by Pharaoh, and they had a dream. And so they're trying to find somebody to interpret this dream for him. And so Joseph's like, hey, I got this. Uh, God's given me the ability to interpret dreams. Let me hear what's happened to you. And so they both give them their dreams. And uh, Joseph says, all I want you to do is when, these, when, I, when, when the, what happens, when the dream comes true, remember me before Pharaoh. Let him know of my plight and my situation down in here. They say, okay, we got you, bro. But then they forgot about him. One day Pharaoh has a dream and he's looking for someone to interpret the dream. The cupbearer remembers Joseph and says, yo, king, I know a dude. They get Joseph from jail and ask him to interpret the dream. He does and the king says, you know what, since you have been given the interpretation of the dream, I'm going to make you second in command of Egypt. Just on a side note, don't you wish life worked that way now? You know, you just interpret a dream the right way, and all of a sudden you're second in charge of something. I mean, that would be pretty cool. But um, So Joseph is put in charge of making sure that Egypt survives this famine that is coming in seven years. Well, a couple of years into the famine, his family runs out of food, and they are forced to go to Egypt to buy some. Joseph's family arrives in Egypt and are recognized by their brother, but they do not recognize him. And so Joseph pulls a stunt that forces them to come back to Egypt. When they return the second time, he invites them over for dinner, and this is what happens. We're going to be jumping over to chapter 45 in Genesis, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 11. And it says this, it says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Now, that's a quick rumor mail there. I'm just going to say on a side note, he started crying, and by the, the time he was done, Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence, as they probably should be. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made my, me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children, your grandchildren, your flocks, your herds, and all you have. I'll provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. So put yourself in this situation because of all people on the planet, I think, Joseph in this situation had a right to be triggered by his family. Why? Because of them he spent years as a slave. He spent years as a prisoner in jail. He had every right to demand the arrest of his brothers for what they had done to him. But there are lessons in Joseph's response to his family that can help us in keeping our family from triggering us. And the first thing that Joseph did was he kept himself humble. What does that mean? A humble person is someone who is not overly impressed with themselves and how important they are. 
Joseph could have pulled rank with his family right here. Okay, Joseph could have said, yeah, remember when you made fun of me for that crazy dream I had? Well, this dream's about to become real, boys. Bow down before me, okay? I mean, this is what could have taken place and in me, in, within me. That's what I would have wanted to do in this situation because I would have been, listen, you jerks, all right? You did all of this to me. Well, we're going to get some payback now. But he remained humble, and he didn't let who he was and what he had accomplished go to his, go to his head. See, and in our families, we need to do the same thing and remain humble as well when we, we go into too many situations thinking that we know more than other people do. I am older than you. I am wiser than you. I have more education. I'm smarter than you. I've been through more life experiences than you. I know what it takes to run a country better than you. Therefore, because of all those things, you should humble yourself and listen to what I have to say. See, we've got to come to the realization that we are not the man with a plan. We are not the one who needs to have our voice and words spoken in every situation because we know what's best. See, we've got to remember that these are people with minds and brains of their own that are quite capable of making their own decisions, and it's not anyone's job to make sure they adult right. If they ask for your opinion and want to know what to do, that's one thing. But us sticking or us thinking that we need to stick our wisdom into people's lives all the time is a different thing. Do you know how much more peace and joy we would have in our lives if we won't so, so concerned about what uh, cousin Susie or brother John or whoever was doing in their life and wanting to get to them and tell them what bad decisions they were making? We would have so much more peace. We would have so much more calmness over our lives. But so many people take it upon themselves, the responsibility to correct everyone in the family who's doing something wrong. And all it does is create a burden on your shoulders and put you in a place where when you walk through the doors of the family, things just trigger you quickly. We need to not let our peace get stolen and upset over stupid, crazy, dumb decisions other family members are making. A second thing that Joseph did was he offered forgiveness and grace to his family. He told them not to be distressed and angry with themselves and that instead he had a place for them to live. He had a place for their flocks and herds. He had already been prepared for their arrival. He had forgiven them for every single thing that he went through in life. He'd forgiven them for trying to kill him. He had forgiven them for selling him as a slave. He had forgiven them for everything else he had to go through, including being in prison for years because of them. And I know we've been through some stuff with our families. We've got family members who put us through junk and stuff, and we need to be able to offer that grace and that forgiveness to our family. And so let me define grace for a second for you, because that may be a new word for some of you. Grace is undeserved love, mercy, and favor from someone. So that's what Joseph offered, offered his brothers. They didn't deserve his favor. They did not deserve all that Joseph wanted to give them. They only deserved punishment. But that's not what they got. Now, if you flash back to the start of the message, uh, we had talked about Jesus' brothers being triggered by him uh, living this secret Messiah life. Well, there's guys who 
take the Bible and they like take the gospel accounts and they try and break it apart and put it all in chronological order so they know what Jesus said, when Jesus said it, you know, what place he was at and all of this stuff. And they'll just take the four gospels, take Matthew, Mark, Luke, John off of them and just start trying to piece and put them together. Well, what they think is that an event that happened in the book of Matthew, um, Matthew 18, happened right after this event. What happened in Matthew 18? Well, in verses 22 to 35, and it's a really long section, so we're not going to read it, but what happens there is that Jesus starts to talk to his disciples about forgiveness. It's the whole thing where Peter says, how many times should we forgive someone? Up to seven times. And Jesus says, no, we should forgive them up to 70 times seven. And then he goes into the story of the debtor who owed someone a great sum of money and how the rich man had forgiven him this great sum of money he owed. And what they think was is that Jesus spoke those words or that section of scripture after this encounter with his brothers at the house when they were, when they were getting triggered because of who Jesus was. Now that could just be a coincidence but maybe it's not. Maybe Jesus is trying to tell us something in that and trying to say to us, look, we offer forgiveness to so many other people. We offer grace to so many other people. Why do we not do the same thing in and with our families as well? Some of you may be thinking, well, Joseph became second in command of the most powerful nation on earth because of what happened. So I could see why he forgave. My life has sucked because of my family, so it's not even the same thing. Here's the deal. The outcome of situations should not determine the level of our forgiveness. For, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5-8, through 8, and I'm reading this from the English Standard Version. It says this, Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough, enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Basically what Paul is saying there, look, if anyone has caused you pain, turn and comfort him. See, it doesn't say as long as the outcome is the outcome that we are looking for and expecting. As long as we've benefited from this situation, then it's okay to turn and forgive them. Paul is saying it doesn't matter the outcome. It doesn't matter what's happened in the situation. The pain, the hurt, the everything that's there that's been caused by our family, we need to turn, we need to forgive, we need to offer grace to them. And Joseph did more here than just offer grace and forgiveness. He was an agent of reconciliation. Some of you may be thinking, well, what on earth is that? The word reconciliation be, means to be restored to friendly relations. He did what he could to make sure that him and his brothers were once again on friendly terms. Maybe there's some of us that need to operate as agents of reconciliation in our home and with our families. Are there problems between a couple of groups 
in your house and in your family? Well, what can you do to bring reconciliation to that situation? Maybe it's, you know, um, it's, it's politics and you've had a deep political discussion at a dinner table and it led into a fight where two people are just not talking each, to each other. Can you bring reconciliation to that? You know, it could be a whole host of things that have caused people to not want, to not talk to each other, to dislike each other, to be triggered even, every time even they see their face. But what can we do to be agents of reconciliation in and with our families? To go to those people, to go to that person or persons that are affected and say, what can we do to make sure that our home, that our family, that our, that, that our gatherings, that our, the things that we do are not places where people walk in and are constantly getting triggered by the situation? Bring reconciliation. Lay some groundwork in your family. You know, explain to people that this kind of triggering is not worth the sanity of the family and say, these are some ground rules, okay? We're not going to talk politics at dinner. And I just keep bringing up politics because I know that sets so many people off. And, and so anyways, but we're not going to talk politics at dinner. You come to my house, okay? I don't want to hear how great Trump is or how terrible Trump is, okay? You come to my house, I don't want to hear how great that party is or how terrible that party is. We just don't talk about it. We keep some things off the table so that when we're together, things don't get to a place where we are triggered. And we got to understand we're not going to be able to live this thing out perfectly because we're not perfect people. There's going to be times where you're going to gather together and no matter what you do, no matter how hard you work, people are going to get upset and it's going to ruin a Christmas or a Thanksgiving or a, an Easter or a birthday party. Stuff is going to happen. But if we learn these principles here, we can keep it to a minimum. See, if we learn to keep our mouths closed and talk only when it's wise to talk, if we keep ourselves humble, if we offer grace and forgiveness, and if we're an agent of reconciliation, we're going to see the level and the pressure of our families and this triggering going on in our families come down and down and down and down. And that's what we want, right? We don't want everybody dreading going to Christmas at auntie's house because things get crazy because so-and-so is going to be there, right? And so we can keep, we can help to keep that to a minimum by just living that out in our lives. So let's close in a word of prayer. Thank you for joining us on the FAM Church podcast. FAM Church is here to connect people to Christ. If you live in or are visiting the Lakeland, Florida area, we would love for you to join us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You can also check us out online at myfamchurch.com. Thank you again and have an amazing day.